Our Second Testament reading today is from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Morning. Have you ever been involved in planning a wedding? How'd that go for you? <laughs> Would you call it smooth as silk? A little bumpy? During my time as a pastor, I had many occasions to witness the blessed chaos. I mean, event. <laughs> Up close. There are so many, 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 many opportunities for something to go awry. I've seen simple little mistakes, like the groom's mother's name spelled wrong on the invitation. And I've seen larger issues. The bride's mom planning her perfect wedding. Not her daughter's perfect wedding, her perfect wedding. (laughs) I remember the first wedding I performed as a pastor. I was nervous, of course, but everything was going surprisingly smoothly. The whole bridal party was on time. There was no wardrobe catastrophes. No one spoke up to object to the marriage. Everyone held their peace. No nervous fingers dropped the rings on the floor. No one tripped, no one fainted. All the decorations were holding up beautifully under the pressure. My sermon wasn't too short or too long. The soloist was singing beautifully and in tune. The bride and groom had just signed the register, and they had made their way back to the center of the platform. It was a beautiful moment. I sat down to sign the register, starting to breathe a sigh of relief. It's almost finished. I had four different places to sign. When I got to the third signature, I caught something, a movement out of the corner of my eye. 
the bride and groom has started walking back down the aisle. Everything started to move in slow motion. <laughs> my eyes widened. My heart started racing and choking in my throat. In my head, I heard myself say a swear word. <laughs> At least I hope it was in my head. <laughs> I hadn't properly introduced the new couple. It was the wrong music for the grand recession. Come on, people, we rehearsed this. <laughs> and they were walking so fast. I knew I couldn't get their attention without making a scene or interrupting the soloist. So I did what all good pastors do in a situation like this. And I know all good pastors do this because I've seen Pastor Ryan do this. I smiled. <laughs> I calmly finished signing the documents. I waited for the soloist to finish. I remained perfectly calm on the outside, pretending that I was completely unfazed by this new development. On the inside, of course, madly trying to come up with a plan to how to fix this. My point, doesn't matter how much planning or rehearsing you do, weddings are unpredictable. So many opportunities to find new solutions to new crisis in any moment. And it was no different back in Jesus' day. In the story that we read today, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee. Sounds simple enough. Cana was a small rural town, not far from Nazareth, where Jesus and Mary lived. Back in the day, a wedding feast would have gone on for days. It would have been considered a community event. Most people from Cana would have been there, along with the couple's family and friends from surrounding villages and some from further away. This scenario, scenario would have been a nightmare for a wedding planner. You don't know how many people are coming. You don't know how long they're going to stay. You don't, you don't know where they're going to stay. There's no hotels. You don't know how much they're going to eat. You don't know how much they're going to drink. There's no caterer. You can't plan a menu. It's likely the food was prepared by locals in the village, potluck style. You don't really know what everybody's going to bring. What if everyone just brings salad? <laughs> but back to our story. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. So that sounds to me like Mary was already there at the feast. Maybe she'd been at the party for a couple days. She might have even been a close friend or relative of the bride and groom, and she might have been helping with the arrangements. But it sounds like Jesus and his disciples were a later addition. Another problem for the wedding planner. Maybe Jesus was expected to be there as Mary's son, but the disciples, they were with Jesus, and you can't not invite them or turn them away. That would be rude. So as a wedding planner, you have to find a way to make room for friends and family who show up at a feast at the last minute. When the wine gave out, huh, <laughs> well, that's a nightmare scenario for a wedding planner. There's no convenient liquor store around the corner to go and stock up really quickly. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what is that concern to you and me? My hour has not yet come. As a close friend of the bridal party, Mary's concerned that the celebration might end early because there's no more to drink. 
And the groom's family would have been embarrassed by this. It was not socially acceptable. Mary wanted to prevent a scandal. And I understand Jesus' first answer. Why is this our concern? After all, doesn't the wedding planner take care of all these details? But Jesus' answer seems odd. My hour has not yet come. What is that about? In John 1, Jesus was slowly gathering some disciples, but so far, he hadn't really done anything out of the ordinary, anything that would draw attention to himself. Jesus knows he can do something about the wine situation, but it sounds like he hesitates for a moment. Perhaps he's not quite ready to reveal who he really is. Perhaps he just wants to enjoy these last few moments of anonymity. Because once he starts doing things that are out of the ordinary, he'll draw public attention to himself, and there will be no turning back from his mission. His mother said to the servants, do what he tells you. Mary doesn't respond to Jesus' odd statement, but assumes that he will take care of the situation. It's likely that Joseph was no longer alive, and so the duties of the head of the household would fall to Jesus, the eldest son. So now it's Jesus' problem to solve. We don't get a clue as to whether or not Mary expects a miracle, or if she just expects that somehow Jesus will find wine somewhere. Maybe he has friends. Maybe there's some back at home that he needs to run and get. We don't know. We don't know what she's thinking. Now standing there, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. Is anything odd about that miracle? It's so understated. No thunder, no fanfare, no doves descending, not even a prayer. Just simple instructions. Jesus asks the servants to do something they've already done a hundred times. Fill up jars. Take a sample to the chief steward. Completely ordinary task. It didn't even require faith on part of the servants. What's the worst that could happen if Jesus didn't come through? They'd give a glass of water to the chief steward. Big deal. (laughs) There's no risk for the servants. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn from the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine till now. Some translations call this character the chief steward. Others call him the master of ceremonies. I call him the wedding planner. He's the fellow who's supposed to know what's going on. He's the fellow who's supposed to be solving crises as they come up. I'm guessing he was pretty stressed out by this point, trying to solve yet another crisis, and this one being a wine crisis. And then suddenly, there's more wine. Problem solved. So much wine. It will last for days. (laughs) And fantastic wine on top of that. Not the bad wine that you save till your guests are drunk, the good wine. 
that you should have served first, probably. The bridegroom saved the best till last. Not only has his family's reputation saved, but now they're seen as generous as well. The party is a success, and the wedding planner can probably rest well tonight. What I find fascinating about this story is the first person to experience Jesus' first miracle didn't even know it was a miracle. The wedding planner had no idea where the wine came from. He's supposed to know everything about the wedding. The servants who obeyed Jesus didn't even know they were the vessels of the miracle until they saw the results. They just followed orders, did what Jesus told them to do. All the guests, they enjoyed amazing wine. They didn't know it was a miracle either. All they knew was that it was a great party. The whole community benefited from this miracle, even though most of them didn't know it. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. Jesus did this miracle to reveal his true self, showing his disciples that he was who he claimed to be. In John, uh, the end of chapter 1, verse 51, the New Living Translation, uh, the verse right before the wedding story, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, you will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. This water-to-wine miracle is evidence of Jesus' claim, and his disciples believed in him. To this point, Jesus had just asked his disciples to follow him, but now they have proof. Now they've seen what he can do. Now they believe him, and they are beginning to understand who he is. So we've looked at this story up close. We see Jesus giving a sign, an indication, that there's more to him than his human existence. His ability to transform ordinary water into extraordinary wine exposes his divine nature. When we zoom out, we take a step back from this story and look at the event uh, in the big picture of things. There's another story being told alongside this seemingly simple story of a rural wedding in Galilee. From this great, grand perspective, the wedding feast itself becomes a metaphor, a sign of God's kingdom, a foreshadowing of the great banquet to come. I'm just going to point out a couple of indicators of of this greater story. First of all, the opening line is, on the third day. Anybody reading the, two, the New Testament, the bells and whistles should be flashing. Third day. Third day is a reference to Jesus' resurrection. And at first I thought in reading this, this is pretty early in the gospel to be talking about Jesus' resurrection. He's just started his ministry. But the writer of John uh, puts the next story right after this um, wedding story, the story of Jesus clearing the temple. And the Pharisees asking for a sign. And Jesus telling them to destroy the temple so he can raise it again in three days. A reference to his resurrection. 
right in the beginning of this gospel story. So the author wants us to be thinking about the resurrection story uh, right off the bat. And these two signs are used to point to the bigger story that's going on. Second, the stone jars were for water for purification. So Jewish law and custom would indicate that the wedding guests would have all washed and all been ceremonial clean to attend the wedding. Since the jars are all empty, it can be assumed that all the guests had washed and were clean. The servants had to refill the jars with water for purification, but Jesus transformed the water into wine. Wine becomes the new symbol for purification that we continue to celebrate every time we take communion, the cup that is poured out, the new covenant in Jesus' blood. This new symbol, this new symbol, this new covenant is better than the previous. Jesus has indeed saved the best for last. So this story of a simple rural wedding in Cana is both the story of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry on earth, as well as the story foreshadowing the fulfillment of Jesus' ministry at the great banquet, the marriage feast of the Lamb. And I'll leave you to go through the story and find out what else is going on there. There's one more way to look at this story. What does this mean for us? How do our lives line up alongside this story? Do we play the role of the servants, following simple instructions that Jesus gives us? Sometimes we can get ourselves all tied up in knots. Am I doing this right? What if I misheard Jesus' instructions? What if I get it wrong? What will people think? There are times when Jesus will ask us to take risks, but there are also times where we can relax. Do what we've done a hundred times, and then enjoy seeing how Jesus can transform our ordinary into his extraordinary. Do we play the role of the disciples? Sometimes we need to simply watch what Jesus is doing, learning more of who he is and how he works in the world. And as he reveals himself to us in ordinary or surprising ways, sometimes all we need to do is believe in him and keep trusting that he is who he says he is. Here's a little leap. Do we play the role of Jesus? We read how the filling of the Holy Spirit comes to us and the things that, as disciples, we're supposed to be able to do somehow, these incredible things. Jesus has sent us on his mission in the world. So we have to put ourselves in Jesus' place sometimes in this story. And I like this story because it's a story for introverts <laughs> who are trying to follow Jesus. And the list we read in Corinthians are these big, out there kind of miracle kinds of things that, are, that draw attention to you. So as introverts, we kind of cringe at some of those things. But in this story, Jesus doesn't make himself the center of attention. 
He doesn't overshadow what's going on for the bride and groom on their wedding day. He doesn't get up and make a loud proclamation or a grand gesture. There's no thunder, no fanfare. Jesus reveals himself on the sidelines to a few disciples, to a few servants. That sounds more comfortable to me. (laughs) And the result is that the whole community is blessed. Most of them don't understand how they've been blessed or who blessed them, or even that they've been blessed. Jesus reveals himself himself, through so many different ways. The gifts are meant to bless whole communities. We can enjoy them, we can watch them, we can learn about Jesus through them. But when God works in us, his abundance flows through us. Not for us to hoard but for us to just overflow in blessing to whoever's around us. And it doesn't matter if they know who's blessing them or why they're being blessed, just that they are being blessed. And we get to watch. We get to be part of that. We get to see Jesus moving around the fringes of things, doing unexpected things in little ways, turning our ordinary everyday routines into something that can be so special. And sometimes we might not even know we're doing it. Jesus just might be working through us, and we're oblivious. We're just doing our ordinary. But he's making our ordinary extraordinary. Amen.